Godly friendships are important as we travel through life, and God can use them greatly. Abounding Grace is next. This is amazing grace. A small boy defined a friend as someone who knows all about you and likes you just the same. Well, today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor will show us what God considers a true friend to be. Good to be with you today. Ed is about to continue his verse-by-verse study in the book of 1 Samuel, and we'll consider the value of godly friends. If asked to name one of the all-time great friendships in the Bible, what names come to mind? I'd venture to say many of you would say Jonathan and David, and rightly so. Let's take a closer look at these friends in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Chapter 18, as we continue our study through the book of 1 Samuel, we're going to pick up where we left off, although last time we were together, and if you're listening to this on the internet, maybe downloading the MP3s or, or the podcast, you know that the study previous to this was on the topic of homosexuality, We paused in our study to really ask the Lord from the text and from the entirety of the the word what his heart is on that particular sin. Uh, And unlike, uh, and, and like, I should say, any other sexual sin, we need to be very careful and prayerful as we minister to those that choose it that are caught up into it, uh, whatever it might be, not thinking more highly of ourselves. I mean, who are we? Uh, Who are we except men and women that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? And and while that sin, whatever it might be, could be homosexuality or, or lesbianism or transvestitism or any of the other names that are starting to be developed to, to describe that kind of behavior, whatever it might be, uh, adulterer, fornicator, we learned last time, thief or any of the other sins, as we're serving within our community, we have to be very, very careful not to put ourselves on any other position. We're just as in desperate need of grace as anyone else. And God delivered us. And if it wasn't for his grace, who could stand? Uh, if he counted all of our sins against us, what could we do? Well, what could we do? We would all be in the same place. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And there's an age abiding life Not only an age-abiding life, but a quality of life that comes with a relationship with your creator. And that's really the heart of the matter. Uh, It's not a statement of bigotry. It's not a statement of judgmentalism. It's not a statement of condemnation. Because if I share my, as I share my full testimony, you share your full testimony, we both can come to the same conclusion. We're both in need of Jesus Christ and this forgiving power of the blood that was shed for you and me. All of us are in need. But because the culture has taken this section of scripture, we needed to pause. But let's pick up in verse 1 and continue our verse-by-verse study as it opens up. And it was so when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day 
and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, after every great victory, we can expect to see attacks. The enemy of our souls is simply not happy with progress, not happy with success, and the ongoing victory of Jesus in our lives. So you're going to see, maybe at your life, three steps forward, two steps back. Three steps forward, three steps back. Three steps forward, five steps back. There's a battle constantly. As J. Vernon McGee once said, he said, we need to understand that we live on a battlefield, not a playground. The earth is a battlefield spiritually. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We're on an ongoing battle for the fruitfulness of our lives. And in many cases, the ongoing battle is for the salvation of our friends and family. The Bible says this, Peter did in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be careful. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Watch out for attacks from the devil. Your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. Take a firm stand against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. And I would add, there are brothers and sisters all around the world going through a much greater suffering than we are at this point in time. And I think it's going to get worse. Throughout the Bible, the men and women God has used greatly have also suffered greatly, usually right after a victory. And in them, we also see a temptation, don't we? When we're getting attacked, the same thing. You see other people attacked in the scriptures. When we feel like we're attacked or we feel like we're under pressure or we feel like we got things against us, it's a temptation. It's not only a situation. There's a temptation involved. And it's simply this, I believe. Will we respond or will we react? There's a big difference between the two. A reaction is usually in the flesh. It's just really quick and, uh, you know, I, I've been hurt and then it's that reaction. Or will we respond? Which has the idea of meditatively waiting on the Lord, gaining direction from God, not immediately attacking or reacting, but rather waiting on the Lord and watching him give direction. At the end of chapter 17 in 1 Samuel, David de- defeats Goliath. And if there was ever a victory that's to be celebrated you know, only really second only to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's this victory of David and Goliath. It was glorious. But by the time we finish the chapter, our chapter, if you just want to look ahead in verse 29, the end of chapter 17, victory. At the end of chapter 18, in verse 29, Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy continually. Difficulty. So the first few verses in chapter 18 has this new friendship that is developing between Jonathan and David. We already know that Jonathan is a man of great integrity. We see the the inspiration of his life with his armor bearer. And Jonathan is a battle-worn hero in his own right, overseeing thousand men, stepping out in courageous faith. Now he could have had this position toward David like his dad. He could have taken up his dad's opinion of David. He could have been very threatened by David. Why? Because David is that one that's anointed by God and would supplant, he would supplant Jonathan 
in the hierarchy of the kingdom. He could have easily seen David as competition, but he didn't. Instead, he gave up his own power and prestige as represented in verse 4 as taking off his robe and giving his armor and his sword and his bow, yielding that, that authority that could easily have been his to David. And he developed a deep friendship and admiration and love for the man. A true tight friendship. And a true, tight, a true male-to-male friendship without any weirdness is very possible. Now, it's not very cultural in the Western culture, but in the Eastern culture, it's still very common. Um, I don't know how many of you, men with men or women with women, that have really good friendships. Just really good friendships. That's what we see here. There, there was a phileo, a friendship type of love shared between these men. Now, if you're a person who finds it hard to make friends or hard to get close in friendships, especially you men then this particular friendship strikes you as different. It strikes you as unusual. Uh, It strikes you as, I I don't know if that's possible. And it could just be because you haven't experienced a close friendship. Some, especially those within the homosexual activist community, come to this section and a few others that have mentioned and twist it into making it some homosexual relationship. Or, and some have even suggested, after my study last time, uh, that they were bisexual. And nothing could be further from the truth Every true friendship involves love, involves fidelity. Every true friendship involves loyalty and a whole host of other human values that are seen here. I started thinking about it in my own life. Of course, my relationships in the closeness and the tightness of them, for me, starts with my wife. She's my best friend. I marry my best friend, and we have only grown. Uh, We didn't start out too well, but because of the grace of God, we've grown up, and she's my best friend. And then my sons, you know, my boy Eddie and my son Josh, close and tight in our friendship and relationship, my daughter, and, and, and then there are those that I serve with in various capacities, those that I hang out with. But I've always mentioned to you uh, my buddy Jack. Uh, my buddy Jack is who I grew up with. We, uh, we, he shared a picture not too long ago. We played Little League together. Uh, we grew up in the same neighborhood. Uh, we didn't go to the same elementary schools, but we went to the same junior high. We went to the same high school. Uh, we did a lot of bad together. Uh, and after Christ, we did a lot of good together. And he was just a good friend. Uh, he, he is a guy that you want to be hanging around with. Uh, he is one of those natural friends. He's the kind of guy that you want as a friend. And in many ways, he is like a Jonathan to me. I, I think of other people in my life that have been a great support and encouragement. The, the men that I've had the privilege to serve alongside of and been in fellowship and like-minded with, like Jonathan's, like these are close, tight. You got to have, you know, you got to have each other's back. In the ministry, you got to have each other's back. In friendship, you got to have each other's back. In marriage, you got to have each other's back. In parenting, that, that is, that, those are the kind of relationships that, that are pure and honest. You know, like my buddy Jack, he's a friend's friend. This guy has friends everywhere. He's the kind of guy, and, and if you were to meet him and befriend him, and you guys were to sit down and talk for 15 minutes, you know, it would sound like you guys wore diapers together. That's how, that's how he is. It's just like he becomes best friends immediately with people, the kind of guy that you would want. I see a little bit of that in this friendship where you're just like, you know what? That's a guy I want to connect with. That's a guy I want to be friends with. 
And there's nothing weird about, as we looked in the entirety of our time last time, there's nothing weird, there's nothing twisted, there's nothing perverse, there's nothing homosexual or bisexual or anything about this friendship. These are all qualities that you'd want to see in your own friendships, that you want to grow in that way, that you want to be that friend. The Bible says if you want to have friends, you what? You must first be friendly. And these are the kind of qualities you can pray for in yourself. You can pray for in those that you're with. You can pray for in the body of Christ. Would be to God that we would share that kind of love. That we would be knit together soul. Do you know the Bible speaks of in the New Testament in the Greek that uses the word like-minded. In the Greek, the word like-minded means to be, to be I forget exactly the phrase, but to be you know, one soul. It has the idea of really tying together in a deeper level than just doing things together. You know, there's a, we were talking about this uh, this morning in our staff meeting, uh, the difference between uh, fellowship, you know, and, or, or the difference is between what people think fellowship is. Fellowship isn't just, you know, having a cup of coffee talking about football. That's not fellowship. Now, you might be fellowshipping in football because the word just means to share in common, but true koinonia that comes from the Lord, which is that, that's the Greek word for fellowship used in the New Testament, means to share in common the things of the Lord. And I see koinonia, I see fellowship, I see friendship, I see a level of friendship that's very precious and very important. Now, verse five, David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. Saul set him over men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now what happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out from all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. And so the women sang as they danced and said, verse 7, Saul has slain his thousands. Don't you think Saul felt good when he heard that? Oh, the ladies are singing about my victory. Saul, I've, yes, I have. I have slain thousands. But David, his ten thousands. And what happened in verse 8? Saul became very angry and the saying displeased him. We have a word for that today, what we would call this. We would call it insecurity. <laughs> we would call it jealousy. We would call it outburst of wrath. He didn't like what he heard. He was a very prideful man. We know that. This is a manifestation of his pride. He couldn't be happy in someone else's victory. You already know he tried to steal the thunder uh, and steal the credit for the victory that David and Jonathan had given and was working out in the nation of Israel. We already know that there are deep issues in his heart that I believe if he would have repented and humbled himself before the Lord, God could have worked in him in that instant. You look at yourself and you go, man, I've got deep problems. But if you'll turn your life away from your problems, the word for that is repent. If you have true godly sorrow over the issues in your life, God will work inside of you to change you. I mean, true deep sorrow, not, not, not just the kind of sorrow that comes because I feel bad about myself, but the kind of sorrow that says, you know, I have sinned against a holy and a righteous God. Psalm 51 type of sorrow. I, I've sinned against God. Yeah, I've sinned against man, but my real sin is against God and against his holiness and his righteousness. But we never see that in Saul's life and we see a, da- a difficult end to him. So he's very angry. The saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed but thousands. Now what can be more, what more can he have but the kingdom 
So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Like David learned with his dad's sheep. Remember, we never despise the days of small things. Why? Well, I, a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't think anything's small in the kingdom of God. Any, nothing is small. That's a perception that we pick up. One person is important as 10,000 people or one responsibility is important as 50 responsibilities. So we don't dis- despise the days of small things because God is working in the small things. He's working in the big things. You go, well, all I have is my dad's sheep. Will you be a faithful person serving your dad and his sheep? You take care of what your dad wants you to take care of. Well, all I have is this with my mom. Well, then you take care of it. You know, I've got this entry-level job. Well, then you do the best that you can. You be the best believer that you have with that entry-level job. You don't despise the, day, despise the days of small things. Well, but you know, I'm just in school. Then you be the best student. You be the one that shines the light of Jesus in whatever you have. Why? Because you never know when. We know David was with the sheep, but you never know that when, verse 5, Saul will send you. You never know when you'll be sent. You'll never know when someone will, be, will ask of you something great. You never know when that moment is when you need to be ready in season and out of season to serve the Lord. And if you don't learn faithfulness with the sheep, you will not be faithful or get anything more. That's what the Bible says. The danger of unfaithfulness is even worse because the danger of unfaithfulness, according to the teachings of our Jesus, is that if you're not faithful in the little that you had, what little you have will be taken from you and given to who? The one that's faithful. So David, he he got it from a young age. And no matter what age you are, you can get it. Be faithful. Don't complain on your purpose personal, your, your situation as it sits today. Be faithful in it. Honor God in it. Bring to light the gospel in your life. Do all things, the Bible says, without murmuring and complaining. Because you never know. And why, why do we know it's important? Well, because in verse 5, the Bible says that David behaved wisely. So what defines wise behavior? Doing what you're told to do. Uh, certainly not uh, subscribing to do what you're told to do in a sinful way or you know well pastor told me to do something sinful well you reject sinfulness or you know my I was told to do this at work and you know pastor Ed said to be faithful that's unfaithfulness to do something sinful that's not faithful but you never know you might have a Saul as a boss you go well I'm not going to listen to Saul David did David did and it's going to get worse it's not going to be just this petty jealousy by the time we end our chapter, there's going to be a, a spear or two, I'm sure. And if not this chapter, the next. That's how Saul handled things. Saul handled things by throwing spears. You know how David handled things? With a harp. <laughs> Just playing songs and worshiping the Lord is what that represents. He was victorious in battle over the Philistines, and it prompted a celebration among the people and the women are singing, yes, Saul, God used Saul for thousands, but God used David for ten thousands. And I have seen more damage done to the body of Christ. I've seen more damage done to people's lives and friendships and relationships by jealousy, pride, suspicion. It's just all not good. It separates. It doesn't bring together. Remember, it was years earlier that Samuel said to him, because you've not allowed, to King Saul, you've not allowed God to rule over you. God is taking the kingdom away from you. And he's going to give it to another. And from that time on, I'm sure Saul was like, who is it? I mean, he knows. 
He knows how bad he is. He knows what the prophet said. And that, that brought suspicion in his life. Who could it be? God's going to give it to someone else. And I'm sure he was looking for someone else that God was raising up. And when he saw the response of the people, he saw how David was so brave in the field of battle. He saw how the people were beginning to turn towards David. I think that he got a hint to the point where, hey, maybe this is the guy. And I don't, if I get rid of him, I don't need to worry about it. I can keep the kingdom taking things into his own hands. And now, and, and now by force, from now on, Saul will, do his, Saul will do his best to destroy David. Saul will do his best from, uh, King Saul will do his best to keep David from the kingdom. And this begins the attempts of Saul, the attempts of David's life by Saul. It's so discouraging. So discouraging what these types of emotions can do in our lives. So verse 10 it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. Now, let's look at that word prophesied. Don't, don't think of it. The context of it isn't he's prophesying like a, speaking forth the words of God. He's babbling. He is pretending, if you will. You know, this, this distressing spirit is bothering him. So David played music with his hand. And at other times, there was a spear. He played music as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pen David to the wall with it. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. Therefore, verse 13, Saul removed him from his presence, made him captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And again, verse 14, David behaved wisely in all his ways. And what was the promise? What was the benefit of that? The benefit was the Lord was with him. When you and I behave unwisely, we don't have the surety of the Lord with us. Now, it's not like he dismisses and he leaves us. But when you grieve the Holy Spirit, when you and I sin against the Holy Spirit, when you and I are in the midst of sin, even though we can go through all the motions religiously, we know we don't have the abiding presence of the Lord. I, I can, if you were to be truly honest, you go, hey, I know the Spirit dwells in me, but I'm not able to enjoy the Spirit. I'm not able to enjoy that relationship. Uh, and for King Saul here, you know, as in, in the Old Testament, the relationship of the Holy Spirit was different prior to the death and resurrection of Messiah, is the, the Spirit of God that just departed. Same with Samson. Remember, Samson came to a point in his life where the Bible says he didn't even know the Spirit of God wasn't with him anymore. And he was still doing everything he always did. Today, we see that just living on in the flesh. When you're a fleshly man, a fleshly woman. And so we see while David was wise, Saul was unwise in his behavior. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Today's message represents a portion of a study in 1 Samuel. And if you missed any part, just go online to calvaryaurora.org or request the CD at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. We have a couple of apps that we think you'll enjoy and benefit from. They're free and available on all platforms. Do a search for the Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps. And Ed has picked out a book that we think you'll get a lot out of. It was written by the late pastor Chuck Smith entitled, Love, the Most Excellent Way. Love, it's something we sing about. It's featured on TV shows and in the movies, and we long for it, too. But why is it so hard to find? 
Pastor Chuck looks into this and points the way to real, authentic love. We'll send the book to you as our way of saying thanks for your donation to Abounding Grace of $25 or more. Your generous support is greatly appreciated and needed as we present the teaching of the Word on stations all across the nation. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Here's what's coming up next time on Abounding Grace. It says Saul cast the spear, but then it says David escaped his presence twice. I mean, David is like, well, you miss me. That's what's next. You know, you miss me. He's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm faithful to you. I'm faithful, you spear thrower. We're going to see that in his life. When Saul threw the spear at David, this one who slew a giant, giant didn't throw it back. You might want to mark that. You might want to note it. He didn't take it out of the wall. He didn't pick it up and throw it back. When the spear was thrown at David and it missed him, David didn't throw it back. That's the right response. The right response is to trust the Lord. Trust him. We'll see the right response when spears are thrown in our direction tomorrow on Abounding Grace when Pastor Ed Taylor returns to 1 Samuel. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora.